0: It was September 13th on a Thursday, and for those of you who are local to our community, you know, that was the day of the gas explosions, the number of fires and explosions set off. We left town so fast, we didn't even really know what was going on, what was happening. Even the next day, even after watching the news, I I met up with Pastor Brian. You'll get to hear from him in a little bit. I, I met up with him in the morning in the downtown and the town was really shut down. All the, the roads were closed off. We had to drive around a few barriers to, to meet up. And it was kind of a ghost town. And, and it, was, it was hard to tell what was going on. We didn't even know, are we safe? Was, was this some kind of terrorist act? You know, how many people are injured? And we, we, we really didn't have a handle on what was going on until we got invited to go down to the, uh, to the safety center, to the, to the fire station. And, and the chief... Uh, let me, he said, hey, do you want to see the command room? And we went into the command room, and it was the coolest thing. They had all the screens up, and they had local officials and state officials and police and fire officers, and they had social media experts and media liaison, and they had, they had it all laid out. They knew exactly what had happened. They knew exactly who was injured. They knew exactly uh, where the problems were. They had all the information. They had the full picture. And I, I picture that, like, these, these women... On that first Easter morning, they're going to the tomb, but they don't have, a, they don't have any idea what's really happened. They, they were expecting to find Jesus' body, to tend to his body, but they just they, there's nothing there. It, until we get these special messengers, these angels, who have the full picture. And they, they give the women this, the full picture of what had really happened. And they, they give the information in the form of a question. They ask, why do you look for the living among the dead and even the question itself shows that the women didn't understand who Jesus really was and what he had truly come to do and we're going to explore this question today why do you look for the living among the dead they needed to know that because Jesus was alive everything changed and if they weren't careful and if we're not careful we might treat Jesus even today treat Jesus as if he's dead But he's alive, and because he's alive, everything has changed. There's really two ways that we can approach Jesus as if he were still dead. The first is this, we treat Jesus like he's dead. If we look to him just for a little spirituality, a little spiritual moment, a little feel-good moment, and picture what these women are doing. They're going to tend to Jesus' dead body. That can be a very powerful experience be a very moving and stirring kind of a spiritual experience. I don't know, perhaps you've uh, been around the body of somebody who has died and maybe at a, a, a wake or a service where there's an open casket and it's a very moving moment and you look at the person and you think about their life and you think about your own life and what are people going to say about me when I'm, when my body is, is lying there. I know what you want them to say. You want them to say, Hey, look, he's still moving. You know, get him up. Oh, that's, a, that's not even funny. Um, <laughs> the, but the person's gone. And they, they, when you have those moments or you go visit a grave, it, it's, it's a very temporary thing because you're not asking that person to be part of your everyday life. You're not asking for their guidance. It, it's, it's a sweet moment. It's a spiritual moment. Uh, but they're dead and gone. And when you leave, it, it's over. There's other ways that we seek to have these little spiritual moments. Some people use meditation as a way to be spiritually focused. Other people will pray to give a little spiritual boost. Some people will come to maybe a church service to get some spiritual inspiration. But for each of those things, when it's over, it's over. It wears off that spiritual high, that spiritual feeling. And these are are good things, but they wear off. And these women, they, they needed the angels to tell them, you cannot approach Jesus this way. You need to know that he is alive and that changes everything. They needed to know that because he's alive, that we don't just experience Jesus in these little visitation moments, but we can experience his presence all the time in all of life. Because he lives, Jesus is not some little spiritual add-on that we put into our lives. When we talk about faith in Jesus, we're not talking about turning a new page in your life. Jesus said it's like writing a whole new book. It's like being born again a second time. It's a whole new life that he gives. The Bible describes it like this. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Apostle Paul, he was one of the early Christians, he described it like this. He said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. To become a Christian means that you open your heart for Jesus to come and to live there, to empower you by His Spirit. To, to know his presence every day. It's an ongoing, continuing relationship, not a one-time experience. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, you know, I've kind of approached Jesus that way. I, 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 he's, he's sort of the spiritual part of my life. And what Jesus says to us today is he says, I am the life, and I came to bring you that life. I died and I rose again to bring about that life. And that life is available to every one of us. But if we just look to him for just a little spirituality, we'll never find him. The second way that we are prone to treat Jesus as if he's dead is if we look to him for a little religion. Let me explain what I mean by that. By religion, I mean religion is primarily about the things that we do, the things that I do, I accomplish. Faith in Jesus is primarily about what he has accomplished, what he has done, not what I do. These women, they're doing a religious duty. They are, uh, Jesus' body had been hastily buried, they they had to take his body down before the Sabbath, and they were going back because his his body was not properly prepared according to the Jewish law. So these, these women go, they're fulfilling the Jewish law to prepare his body. And if Jesus is dead, that's the only way we can approach him. You can only approach him religiously. You, you can see him as a, as a good religious teacher, a good moral teacher, and you might try to emulate him or follow his good religious teachings or his good religious law. In the hope for people who approach, who approach God that way, they say, look, or they approach Jesus, they say, I'm going to live a good moral life and a good righteous life, and at the end of my life the hope is that God will see me and He'll say, you know, you lived a pretty good life. Come be with me. But there's a big problem with that. The problem is we forget who God is and we forget who we are. See, God is holy and perfect and pure in every single way. And we are not. No matter how good of a life we try to live, no matter how righteous and moral we try to be, every one of us falls short of how perfect and holy God is, and how pure he is, and it's our impurity in our and his purity that separates us from God. we can't live a good enough life for him to say that was probably good enough these are our, our sinfulness and, and his perfection are incompatible that's why Jesus had to die, and that's why these angels remind the women, they said, look, Jesus told you he must be handed over. He must be crucified. He must die and rise again. He told you these things. It was necessary. It was necessary because we've sinned. We are all essentially wretched sinners. And we just sang it. We sang Amazing Grace. It's one of the most beloved songs of the faith. It's a, but it's a song, if you think about it, we're singing How Sweet the Sound. He saved a wretch like me. We're singing a song about how we are wretched, and it's a beloved song. Well, why is it so beloved? Because Jesus, by his death, he paid for our sin. He did that for us, he died in our place. He takes all that sin and impurity of our lives, he takes it on himself, and it dies with him in the grave. And then he rises to this new life, whereby we can have new life, and we can know him and celebrate his presence. That's the good news. He's accomplished everything for us. So my life is not about what I accomplished for him, but about what he has accomplished for me. Religion says, if I serve God and I obey, then he'll accept me. True faith in Jesus says that he's already accepted me by his grace. And that grace changes me, and yes, I obey and I follow him. But it's because of what he has done, not what I do. If you see Jesus as a, just a good religious teacher, he'd be like the founder of every other religion, just another dead founder of a religion. And you can only approach him as your example, maybe as a, a good a good moral person, but he will never be your Savior and you will never be his follower. We need to see the necessity of his death and resurrection. Otherwise, we're just seeking the living among the dead. We're just, if we approach him just for a little spirituality or just for a little bit of religion, we will never find him. We need to know the risen Jesus. And he was alive then and he is alive now. And the question for every one of us is, how are we going to respond to that?
1: I'm alive, I'm alive, because He lives. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, He has risen. How do you respond to news like that? That's the question that we were asked. And as we continue this account, we see three responses. One from the women, one from the apostles minus Peter, and one from Peter. Now, during the early moments of the, the gas crisis, I was sitting in my office at the church, and it was a normal uh, day. I was doing normal pastory type of things in my office, when all of a sudden, uh, after hearing the news of the gas leaks, one of our, uh, our property assistant, Penny Martin, came busting through my door, and she, uh, she told me that we had to evacuate because of the gas leaks. She was compelled to tell me this news because it was unbelievable news. And so she had to tell somebody. And when something unbelievable happens, you want to tell people. You need to tell people. And this is exactly what the women at the tomb did. We see the women respond with proclaiming the news of the resurrection. Verse 9 says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other, others with them who told this to the apostles. So the, the women hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They, they, are, they hear this from the angels, and we read in other accounts that the angels told them to go tell the, uh, the apostles... And so the women hear this news, they got to tell someone it's it's the best news ever. And and when they're told to tell the apostles, they would be excited about that because if someone was going to understand it, it was going to be the remaining apostles. I mean, they spent day in and day out with Jesus for three years. And because he lives, because Christ lives, we need to proclaim the message of the good news loudly in every aspect of our life. This indeed is the best news ever. We were separated from God because of our sin, yet Christ, the Son of God, steps down, lives a perfect and righteous life, dies, is nailed to a cross, but He's resurrected three days later and we put our faith and trust in Him. We too are resurrected to new life. And that's just not some destination we're going to one day. This starts now. It's new life right now, and it's good news. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a messenger of that news. You've been entrusted with this message, so go forth. Tell people loudly about this good news because it changes everything. So, these women must have expected that the apostles would have received this news with great joy and excitement. However, as we all know, people don't always respond to news the way that we think they're going to respond. When I was in my office and Penny busted in and told me about the gas leaks, I initially responded by just brushing it off. I just, I just said, well, okay, whatever. I brushed it off. I mean, I'm a Marine. I, if you don't know, I, I served 21 years in the Marine Corps. I served numerous combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've been shot at by numerous people numerous times in numerous places by numerous weapons. So I have a pretty high threshold for emergencies. So that's just a spoiler. If you ever like, come with an emergency with me and I don't respond, I have a pretty high threshold. And the news just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, Gasly, big deal. Things aren't blowing up. I'm good. So I wasn't going to move. I was planted there. I'm sitting in my seat. I'm not moving. And so we see that the women bring this news to the apostles. And we see that the apostles respond in unbelief. They just brush it off. Verse 11 says, But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The apostles thought the news of the resurrection was, was nonsense. In the Greek, it, it conveys this word of insane babbling. And we see that they, they, they responded this way because they were filtering the news through a certain bias that contradicted their idea of how the resurrection would happen. They were told by the culture, by their religious um, te- teachers, that the resurrection would not happen that way. And So when the women talk about the resurrection of Jesus, they're like, well, that's not how we were told. That's not what we believe. Additionally, we were told by women. And in the ancient Jewish context, women were seen as unstable and undependable witnesses. So due, due to their bias and prejudice, they, they dismissed not only the message of the good news of the resurrection, but they dismissed the messengers of that good news. So we see that these men miss out on the best news, the news that will eternally fulfill them, save them, bring them peace, because they were unwilling to set aside their bias and their prejudice. And let's face it, let's just get real. We all have biases and prejudices, uh, the ways that we interpret the world. For example, some people think that strong people don't need faith, because it's really just a crutch and it's inconsistent with logic. Faith is archaic, irrelevant, irrational, and even divisive. Things would be a lot better if we just didn't have faith and and religion, if you will, or or faith especially in Christ. And we hold on to these things because they give us identity. They give us stability. And let's face it, we're all pretty pragmatic. It it somehow functionally works for us. And if it functionally works for us, we're not changing it. At least at some level, it functionally works for us. And some of you sitting in here have made up your mind about Jesus, the resurrection, and Christianity. You're maybe you're here because you're supporting a loved one or you were invited. Some of you have heard this message before and perhaps you feel that it's just, it's just a bunch of babbling nonsense and, and you've somehow even marginalized people who've told you this message. And Perhaps you even feel that same way about me as I speak and tell you the good news of Jesus. But I believe that you are here for a reason. And deep down, you know that your life is really just this delicate facade. Yeah, you, you, you present yourself a certain way, but you know that it's really a house of cards, and you're one tragedy away from it crashing down. And you know that something doesn't feel right. It just, it doesn't feel right. And you search for peace, because we all need, need peace, and we search for peace, and we, and we search for it in family, friends social status, education, vocation, and the one that gets me the most, achievement. Oh, I just got to do more and more and more and achieve more. And those things are good, and they can give you a sense of fulfillment and peace, but it will never last. It's not eternal. You, you need to find an eternal solution. And these things were never meant to last. But because he lives, because Jesus Christ is resurrected. We can know eternal peace, but only in the eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. You can say amen. That sounds good. If I have described you, you're sitting here, and you're already seething a little bit, like in your mind, like this guy is crazy. If I've described you, I want to encourage you to set aside your biases and your prejudices and seriously examine the claims of Christ. Christ. I'm not saying watch a Netflix thing, uh, show. I'm not talking, I'm talking. Seriously, put your mind to it and examine the claims of Christ. If that's something you're willing to do, we'd be happy to engage you on that. No strings attached. So this is how the apostles respond. By brushing it off. But how does Peter respond? Well, We see that Peter responds with a seeking heart. Verse 12 says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Like I said, I wasn't planning on moving from my spot at the church. I was in my seat, I was doing my work. Penny tells me this news, I brush it off, but then she says something. She utters these words to me She says, They're explosions. Buildings are blown up all over town. That got my attention. She hit my thresholds. And I got out of that building faster than, I didn't even know I could run that fast. It was pretty. And we see Peter. He hears the news of the empty tomb, and it says he got up and he, he moved out. The idea is that he moved out so fast that both of his feet never were on the ground at the same time. He just ran to the tomb. And so we ask, why is there such an urgency for Peter? Why is he so urgent about this? Well, Peter was often called the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. He loved Jesus, but his bold proclamations often got him in trouble. His mouth got him in trouble. Quite often. So maybe you guys could um, identify with that. Don't nudge your neighbor. It's probably you. And we see that... The final moments of Jesus' life, Peter boldly proclaimed to Jesus that he would never deny him. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Peter says, if all these people turn away, Lord, I will never deny you. Yet we know that Peter could not keep his word. In fact, he denies Christ multiple times. And upon Jesus' death, he, he, he runs away. He hides out. This bold, Person hides away. He cowardly hides away. We see this bold, flawed lover of Jesus failed, and he felt the of that Failure. He felt the weight of that failure, and it was more than he could take. Maybe you you know that feeling. You've just failed and failed, and this it's like an anchor on you, and you feel the weight of that. So he urgently rushes to the tomb. He wants another chance with Jesus. And, and, and even though the news is hard to believe, and he's sitting there and he's like, this doesn't make sense. I mean, Peter had these biases the way that, that, that he interpreted his world, but even if this news is remotely true, he's going to take his chance to make it right. Because he's tired of living as a failure. He's tired of it. So Peter gets to the tomb. He looks down, and it's empty. And he sees the strips of linen and no body and he doesn't know how to process this and he just stands there and he stands there in amazement and some and you could identify with peter you could feel the weight of your failure maybe you you've expressed faith in christ at one time but now you know that you're not living for him anymore and you feel guilty about that. Life is too complicated. It's too busy. Pastor Brian, you, would not, you don't know what my life is like. Maybe you would struggle with certain things. It's just too complicated for you. Maybe you failed so many times in your life, you made these bold proclamations that you would never do something, then you find yourself doing it again. And you just figure, you know, I'm a lost cause. Or maybe you come to church all the time, but you know that your heart's not in it anymore. Maybe you've subtle ways or maybe you've denied him in very overt ways and maybe like Peter you come here today seeking another chance let me just tell you you've come to the right place the empty tomb means that Jesus is alive And because he lives, we're no longer dead in our sins, but alive in Christ. Because he lives, our shame is transformed into an instrument to be used for the glory of Christ. Because he lives, we're no longer defined by our past failures, but defined by his ever-present victory in the resurrection. Because he lives, we get a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, an infinite amount of chances, an infinite amount of do-overs. Because on the cross, he's already done it. It is finished. The resurrection is a proclamation of that. Yes! So here's the big question. Here's the big question, the very personal question for all of us. Because he lives, how will you respond? This is a deeply personal question. Will you accept these truths? Believe in the good news, this free gift of true life in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures? Do you want to receive this grace, this free gift of life, of love in Jesus Christ? Listen, I'm not talking about adopting a religion. I'm inviting you right now into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Later on in his life, Peter had that moment with Jesus the moment of faith where he received forgiveness, eternal redemption, eternal peace. He had that moment. And that can be your moment right now, today. Do you want that moment? If that is you, would you silently pray with me right now? Almighty Father, I admit I am a sinner. I have fallen short and deserve your judgment I feel an emptiness, a separation from you that I do not want to feel anymore. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ, your perfect son, bore the punishment I deserved and died on the cross for my sins. I believe that three days later, he conquered death and was resurrected. I believe that it is by faith alone and what Christ has accomplished on that first Easter morning that I am saved into eternal life with you. Lord Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I confess with my whole heart that you are my Lord and my Savior. I surrender and ask you for your help by the power of the Holy Spirit as I turn from my old ways and follow you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I thank you for those that have prayed to receive your grace We rejoice in your resurrection, your defeat over death, a gift of new life. With a joyful heart, we shout blessing and honor and glory and power be to our God forever and ever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.